Well, good evening. I thank you for coming out tonight or for tuning in online. Could you please open your Bible to 3rd John? Uh, tonight will be our third study in this uh, short epistle. Uh, and our focus uh, will be on the, the catalyst behind this particular epistle. His name uh, is Diostrophes. Uh, the one who had to be first, the one who craved preeminence, and uh, ironically, he's going to be in the spotlight tonight. So in our two studies, uh, we've identified hospitality extended to itinerant preachers as the central theme of this epistle. So far, John has complimented Gaius and encouraged him to continue extending generous care and provision toward the true preachers of the gospel. But tonight we learn why John penned this letter. It was because of his concern about Diostrophes, who had refused to accommodate the visiting preachers sent by John, and he was enforcing his strong opinions onto others. So this was a real concern and a heavy burden to the aging apostle, and it was this that motivated the penning of this epistle. You know, it's calling out, it's confronting the behavior of Diostrophes, and it's also an attempt to hinder these poisonous attitudes from spreading and corrupting entire congregations, which would be detrimental to the ministry of itinerant preachers who relied on the hospitality and generosity of the saints. So there's a summary of 3 John, according to Brendan. If it was a college class, I'd want you to remember that, but luckily it's not. Okay, so that's 3 John. What I'd like to do uh, is read uh, all 14 verses. So let's, uh, let's pick up reading from verse 1. Uh, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow uh, helpers to the truth. I write unto the church, but Diostrophes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath a good report of all men, and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us uh, together tonight, and for giving us the opportunity to study uh, your word. I ask that you would help me to communicate clearly, and that I may the meaning of the text that become obvious to us through the illuminating ministry of the Spirit. And uh, please help us to be uh, submissive 
uh, to the text. Uh, May we be honest uh, and open in the text assessment of our heart. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been uh, in a conversation, and uh, let's say it's at a coffee shop, it's a prearranged meeting, and you assumed there was no agenda. It was just uh, a friendly catch-up in your mind. Okay, you arrive early, the cafe's lovely, you take your seats, and the conversation flows. It's all pleasant. You water your coffee, it's made to perfection. You tuck into chocolate brownies if you're unhealthy like me, or your fruit and yogurt, whatever healthy people eat. And the whole experience is lovely. But then out of nowhere, it takes an unexpected turn. The bomb gets dropped and the whole mood changes. And you think, where in the world did that come from? Everything was so pleasant, but then it's like they've taken this vicious U-turn and they're driving away from Pleasant Street at a rapid rate of knots. And now the criticism is flowing. Have you ever experienced that? Either in conversation or perhaps in email or text. Everything seems to be clear skies and sunshine. It looks wonderful. But then out of the blue, the dark clouds roll in and the storm unleashes. The book of 3 John is a little bit like this. It starts with praise and encouragement, and it even ends that way. But in the middle of the letter, it's like, whoa, whoa, where did that come from? It hits us unexpectedly. The apostle calls out Diostrophes. Remember, this is John. This is the apostle of love. He calls out Diostrophes and publicly criticizes him for his out-of-line behavior. It's a very confrontational moment, and there's a shift in both the tone and the content. But as I suggested earlier, this is what triggered the letter. It was to address this very issue and the ramifications, both actual and potential. So I'd like us to spend our time considering the attitudes and actions of Diostrophes that necessitated this epistle, And for us to learn about some hazardous attitudes and actions that can easily permeate the church, but need to be eradicated before they wreak destruction. Okay, so that's where we're heading, and the approach is really, really simple. I want to ask two questions in order to unpack the text. The questions are, what are the issues, and what is the cause of the issues? Okay, so question number one, what are the issues. In verse 9, John mentions that he had written a letter to the church. Verse 9 says, I wrote unto the church. But this particular letter was not well received by Diostrophes. Now, a couple of questions naturally arise, the most obvious being, what letter? What letter is John talking about? Now, some believe this could be referring to either the first or second of John's epistles, but that seems highly improbable. It's more likely that this refers to a letter of commendation that preceded the coming of the itinerant preachers. Now, this was a common practice of the time, and someone like John, he was well known, he was well respected, he was an authoritative figure in the church, he would send a letter to varying churches, which was his stamp of approval for the preachers that would come through their towns. So it would function similar to a character reference does today when you apply for a job. 
Now, this was especially important in the early church because, as I mentioned last week, there were many itinerant preachers. And some of them were very bad. Okay, they preached the false message. Some were doing it all for money, and some did both. And hence, a letter from an, an apostle was invaluable to prove the legitimacy of your preaching ministry. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul mentions this practice in 2 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians is all about Paul defending his ministry. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1, okay, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles or letters of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? So this reveals the common practice of these letters. And that seems to be what's referenced in our text. Okay, and that particular view fits the central theme of this epistle, which is all about providing hospitality for the visiting preachers. But this particular letter written by John was not well received by everybody. Okay, Diostrophes was not thrilled. Okay, verse 9 concludes the final phrase, receiveth us not. Okay, and this is referencing two things. He didn't receive the letter well, and he didn't receive the preachers. Now, we're not exactly sure how he responded to the letter. Maybe he destroyed it, and that's why we can't determine exactly what the letter was. We know he definitely discredited the author of the letter. He didn't respond favorably. And verse 10 outlines for us the behavior of Diostrophes. It's like John is bringing the charges against him. You picture a court scene, and John is bringing the things that he was guilty of. And verse 10 illustrates graphically what is meant by the phrase, receiveth us not, in verse 9. So let's consider the sinful reaction in verse 10, which reveals the issue that John was confronting. Now the first charge that he brings against um, Diostrophes, verse 10, is prating against us with malicious words. So Diostrophes launched a vicious and slanderous smear campaign against John and the other preachers. Or it's a bit like in a political campaign when one party is continually trying to trash the image of the other party and vice versa. It's like slinging mud at each other. That's the idea. So Diostrophes was endeavoring to harm John and also turn people against him. And gossip was his choice of weapon. And you can imagine him saying things like, well, why should we listen to John? Who does John think he is to come in and tell us what to do? We're fine without him. We don't need his preachers. Our preaching is fine. If he wants to send his preachers, he must be saying our preaching's no good. And I heard this thing, what John did at another church, you know, and it's not good. And no doubt there were numerous seed sown to create doubts about the integrity and authority of the apostle. And his actions actually reveal some helpful indicators for us in defining gossip. Unfortunately, churches are often bad for gossip. And that's horrible because gossip is a sin. We need to understand that. And it ought not to be tolerated and it shouldn't be widely prevalent. But one of the issues when it comes to gossip is we struggle to define it. Okay, if I asked you, how do you define gossip? Everyone would probably give a different answer. So many people often think this. Okay, if it's true, then it's not gossip. Okay, and I'm free to just talk away. I can say whatever I want, but that's not true. 
Okay, that's an incorrect definition. Now, it's certainly part of the definition. Okay, if it isn't true, it is gossip. Okay, the Greek word that's used in our text, it's only found here in the New Testament. It's a very picturesque word. Okay, in day-to-day speech, it described the bubbles that would rise up from boiling water. And the idea being, it's empty speech. Okay, there is no truth in it. So what Diostrophes was saying about John, it wasn't true. So that's one element of gossip, okay, when we're defining it. Okay, saying something that isn't true, that's gossip. And also when we say things like, well, I heard that they did. Okay, you don't know that to be true. Okay, it's something that you merely heard. Okay, you know, or, or something like, I, I think they, they did this. Or, or if you're judging someone's motives, that's gossip. Because you can't judge motive. I can't judge motive. Only God can judge motive. But gossip is much more than whether it's true or not. Okay, gossip is a way of talking about someone, whether it's true or not, behind their back that creates a negative image of the one being talked about. One writer gave this definition, very short and simple, but I think it's good. He said, the sin of gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. And this covers the two main elements of gossip. The first element is the intent. Gossip has the intention of tearing others down. It has the intention of making others look bad. Gossip is about hurting people, and that comes out of a bad heart. Now, the second element when it comes to defining gossip is the information shared. Okay, so this is all about sharing the faults and failures of others or revealing embarrassing or shameful details about others without their knowledge or approval, whether it's true or not. Okay, so hopefully that gives a little more clarity around gossip. Okay, and if you are in doubt whether something is gossip or not, better to be safe and stay silent. Okay? Say nothing. Because once you say something, you can't take it back. doesn't matter how fast you can run, you can't catch it. Okay? And really, I think we should apply the simple rule we teach children. You know, my mum always used to say to me, Brendan, if it's not nice, don't say it. Okay, if it's not nice, don't say it. I think we apply that, that will help us a lot. Okay? There aren't too many exceptions. So seek to build up with your speech, not tear down. Now, sure, there'll be times when sin needs to be confronted. We'll actually get to that in our text. But even in such situations, the Bible doesn't say, go behind Brendan's back to deal with the sin in his life. There's a pattern, there's a procedure laid out in the Bible. So we all need to search our hearts. Is gossip lurking within? Do we love to hear gossip okay, and we need to remember that we're accountable to Jesus for every word that we speak so may we not be like Diostrophes and seek to destroy and discredit others while endeavoring to make ourselves look great okay that's the other aspect of gossip this is always the case when you gossip okay, you're not only trying to make others look bad you're trying to make yourself look good okay They have done this. Can you believe it? I would never do that. 
Okay, so it's pride. Okay, so with God's help, may this be eradicated from our lives. Okay, so this is the first charge. The second charge was that he refused the preachers. Again, verse 10, wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren. So John uses this phrase, and not content with. The idea being, he's already done great harm and caused great damage. His tongue was an uncontrolled fire that was incredibly destructive, but he wasn't happy with just spreading malicious lies. He went even further. And when the visiting preachers came through, he refused to extend hospitality. He said, there's no way in the world I'm having these men in my home. No way. So there's a blatant defiance of the apostolic request. And this is what we need to understand. This is rebellion against authority. Because the apostles, capital A, possess God-ordained authority. And yet here is Diostrophes. He's kicking against that. Rather than receiving John's request, he rejected it. And try and imagine how demoralizing this must have been for both John and these preachers. Okay, firstly, for John. Okay, in this society, it was highly disrespectful to treat elderly people this way. And to compound it, John was an apostle. Okay, he occupied an authoritative position in the church. So this whole situation brought great shame upon John. It would have been a source of mockery and slander for the world that was watching on. But secondly, think about these poor itinerant preachers, how discouraging it must have been for them. Most of them were probably inexperienced. A lot of them were probably quite young. And here's this man in the church, Diostrophes, treating them horribly, okay, trying to run them out of the ministry rather than encouraging them. Okay, so I, I was trying to put myself in that situation. It would have been, I finished Bible college and then I moved to Lismore. It would have been like Pastor Peter, okay, deliberately making my life really, really challenging and chasing me out of the church. Okay, that would have been a horrible thing to do. Okay, and that is what's happening here. Okay, so there's that emotional, there's that psychological hurt, but also where would they stay? Who would provide for them? Okay, they've left their home city, that they don't have anything, and they needed these people to extend hospitality in order to meet their needs. Okay, but Diostrophes refused. So that's the second charge brought against him. But there was also a third charge. Diostrophes didn't stop there, but he also enforced others to follow his lead. So he turned others against these preachers. And this is what characters like Diostrophes do. That this is what gossipers do. They endeavor to get people on their side and then turn them against others. Notice what verse 10 says. Okay, wherefore, if a karma will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Pretty dramatic, quite severe. So from this, it seems that he has some kind of authority in the church. Whether it was official or self-delegated, we don't know. I think self-delegated seems more likely. And he forbids 
to extend hospitality. Okay, he says, nobody can have these preachers in their home. So it's, he thinks he's the king. Okay, and he issues this edict. And anyone who refuses to do what he says, okay, instead of off with his head, it's out of the church. Okay, he removes them. Do what I say or don't come back. Okay, so don't you dare stand against Diostrophes. Okay, and this is a horrible quality. Not only is he doing the wrong thing, but he's dragging others down with him. And then he's punishing those who do right. So he closes the church doors to the preachers and then opens the doors to boot those out who won't do what he says. So they're the three charges brought against him. That answers question number one. They were the issues. And this leads to the second question. What is the cause of the issues? Some scholars delve deeply into the supposed cause of Diostrophe's behavior. That they believe that there must be some rift between John and Diostrophes. Some focus on doctrinal disagreements. Others believe there is a transition at play in church authority since the apostolic age is coming to the end. The apostles had always had the authority in the church. Now that they were dying out, perhaps a power struggle had commenced. And although there may have been doctrinal issues... There may have been ecclesiastical issues. That's not the underlying issue according to the text. Because the cause of this despicable behavior is actually a moral issue. It's a heart problem. Verse 9 makes this clear. It says, Diostrophes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them. Okay, this is the underlying issue. This is the root cause. Now, what does it mean to love the preeminence? Well, very simply, he loved the limelight. He desired to be number one. He had a big ego. He he loved being the leader. He loved exercising authority. He wanted to be the center of attention. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to seem like he is the most important person. It's all about him. And he didn't like John because he viewed him as a threat and hence wanted to eliminate him. He didn't want other preachers hanging around. He didn't want anybody to potentially take the spotlight off him. And again, you could imagine him telling the church, who does this John think he is to come and tell us what to do? Why do these big shot apostles get all of the attention? What about my ministry? Why don't you listen to me? What about everything that I've done for you? You don't need anything from this guy. John's just trying to control us. And you can imagine how he went about protecting his own platform and building his own profile while tearing others down. Okay, this man was full of pride and desired personal glory. And the thing that we need to identify is that Diostrophes was committing the same sin as Satan. Okay, as one writer said, this quotes in your outline. He said, this is the original and greatest of all sins. It is the sin of Satan who was unwilling to be what God had created him to be and who desired rather to be like the Most High. It's the opposite of the nature of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
Okay, so this desiring the preeminence is a satanic attitude, but it certainly isn't limited to diostrophes, because we too can be guilty of what I've called the diostrophes syndrome. Okay, we can crave the limelight at church. Okay, where we want recognition, we want to be up the front, we desire attention. We, we want everyone to notice and to constantly verbalize how good of a job we're doing. We can be egotistic. We can make it all about us. We, we can get angry that we have to do the jobs that nobody sees. You know, we can ensure that our ministry is constantly highlighted. Okay, we can succumb to this in obvious and subtle ways where we desire first place. Can we can make it all about us? Okay, but here's the thing in the church. Okay, who should be number one? Jesus should be number one. Jesus is the preeminent one, Colossians chapter one. Okay, he's to be the center of attention. He's to be the line in the limelight. His glory is what we ought to be concerned about. Okay, and the attitude that we all need to possess is seen in John the Baptist. Okay, he was very gifted. He, he had a wonderful ministry. But do you remember what he declared? I must decrease so that Christ is increased. Okay, that, that's the attitude. In everything we want Jesus to increase, not me. So we need to ensure that Jesus receives the preeminence. Okay, and that this is not something that we are coveting after like diostrophes. Because when this is something that we crave, it can and it will lead to all kinds of poisonous attitudes and actions. And hence we need God's help to ensure that we're always putting Christ in the limelight, that he is the preeminent one, that he is increased even if that means we are decreased. So there's the exposition of the text. And I'd like to leave you with four thoughts of application. The first one is this, a word about church leadership. Leaders in the church, okay, me, are not to be dictators. Okay, they're not to abuse their position to get their own way. Okay, so this is true for pastors primarily, but also for those who hold varying leadership positions within the church. Okay, we aren't to throw the weight of authority around. Now that doesn't mean authority is non-existent. Jesus has placed authority structures in the church, but it's not to be abused. Okay, first Peter chapter five, this is speaking to elders. Okay, he warns that they are not to be lording or they're not to be domineering. So, so how should we lead? Well, servant leadership is the biblical model. Okay, leading for the benefit of others. Okay, and Jesus exemplifies that perfectly. So we need to lead like Jesus, not like Diostrophes. Number two, a word about public correction. In this epistle, John calls out Diostrophes publicly. And this is a reminder that there are times when sin needs to be dealt with in a public way. Yes, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it, but we need to have this category and be willing to use it as a church when necessary. And again, there's a word for church leaders. Okay? We need to be courageous enough to take these steps when necessary. But there's also a word to the church. Okay? You need to understand 
that there are times when this needs to happen. It's not often, but you need to avoid the mentality that that thinks straight away, we shouldn't do this. Okay? It's unloving, it's judgmental. I should never, ever call anything out because that's unscriptural. Okay? There will be times when people need to be called out and dealt with in a public manner. Number three, a word about church issues. Now, sometimes Christians can get very discouraged about issues and problems in the church, okay? and rightly so. But we see in the text that right from the beginning of the church, okay, it's only been running for, let's say, 60 years, it was never perfect. Okay? There was sin in the church, and that's evident right throughout the New Testament. Okay? And our text confirms that there's no such thing as a perfect church, and as has been famously said, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. I think Spurgeon said that. You know, but we need to understand that, that within the church, there will be good and there will be evil mingled together. There will be issues. There will be conflict. Now, I'm not trying to excuse it. Certainly not. But we do need to be realistic. Because if there was going to be no problems at all, why does the Bible show us how to deal with problems in the church? So we need to be careful that we don't have unrealistic expectations because here's the thing within the church. Think of the makeup of the church. Okay. There are unsaved people in the church. Then those of us who are Christians, we are in the process of sanctification. Okay, So even we as Christians, we aren't perfect. You aren't perfect. We're all flawed and broken. Now, sure, we all need to be making progress. We ought not to excuse sin, but we ought not to expect the church to be perfect because that won't happen until heaven. But in the meantime, we're to live together and help each other to become more and more like Christ, okay? making progress to the right. Okay? But don't be shocked if there's a diostrophes in the church. And the fourth point of application is a word about self-love we see in the text that self-love spoils and impairs all relationships okay self-love spoils and impairs all relationships look at the ostrophes. he slandered john ruining that relationship he gave the cold shoulder to the visiting preachers ruining that relationship he excommunicated those who didn't agree with him ruining that relationship Okay. Self-love is destructive to our relationships, and it's a root cause of an awful lot of our problems. Personal vanity lies at the roots of most problems in the church. A lot of marriage problems, a lot of family problems, in fact, most relational problems. Okay. We overestimate and overvalue ourselves, and we underestimate and undervalue others. And this is a root of so many destructive attitudes and behaviors. And the solution is that we need to love God and love others more. Okay? And Jesus is the perfect example of that. That's how he lived his life. Okay? And thankfully, he did that in our place because we fail so often. But now it's possible for us to live more like Jesus. Now, we can't do that in of our own strength, but with God's grace, God's help, we can change. And our love for the Lord and our love for others can grow. And the attitude of he must increase, but I must 
decrease can be a reality in our lives. Okay? And if that's presence, okay, it will breathe vitality and health into our relationships. So may the Lord help us to not insist on personal preeminence, but may the Lord Jesus be the preeminent one in our life. Because that's his rightful place. And when we get this right, okay, it will have a positive impact on all of our relationships and not a negative impact like self-love. Amen. Now let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for this uh, portion of scripture. Um, it's you know, looking at the, the negative uh, flaws of this man. And, and yet there is uh, an awful lot uh, for us to learn from it. And uh, we, we do uh, thank you for that. And please help us uh, to apply uh, the lessons that we need to. Father, please keep us safe uh, as we travel home. We ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.